0: please be seated. So we've been working our way through the epistle of 1 John, and uh, one of the ways to look at 1 John, or or a theme that unites this little book, it's only five chapters, it's like two pages in a, in a, a typical Bible, but one of the themes that unites it, or the question that it's answering is, how do you know that, God is at work in your life. How do you actually know that you believe and that you've come to know Him? And, uh, and he gives a series of different tests that he has. But in this one, we're going to look at the test of generosity and love for your neighbor. 1 John 3, 16-18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And if anyone has material possessions and yet sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with just words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is God's word for God's children this morning. So this passage, as you can see, it's all about love, all about defining what love is. And you know, it's interesting because I think love is one of those simple basic words, and yet as we throw it around, as we discuss it, it, it it's actually one of the most confusing things when we talk about what it actually means to, to love someone and what love is, especially in our culture and in our world today, you know. I think in in much of the broader culture, love is a feeling, you know, I can't fight this feeling anymore. It's just something, you know, love is something you fall into. I can't help it. I love him. And then you say, you know, I can't help it. I don't love you anymore. You know, it's just, it's something we can't, we can't help. Uh, But, you know, the Bible, actually, if you read the Bible, one of the things that you see is the Bible is constantly taking the opportunity to redefine love along other lines. And, uh, and what I think happens is as you redefine love, you actually it actually opens you up and frees you up to redefine everything else in our world and even to redefine who we are. This is how we know what love is, John writes. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. The model... Of love is Jesus and the thing that Jesus did was that was the model of love was his willingness to lay down his life for us and you know what the Bible says over and over again is the essence of love is sacrifice willing to give yourself willing to pay the price for the good of someone else and and so that that's what the Bible says love is, and and that that's that's a, a grand contradiction to how we view and understand love. I, I think in in our normal discourse, you know, I I think some people confuse love with infatuation, but actually, as you think about it, infatuation. And as you and I know, I mean, I know some of you are in the midst of infatuation right now, but, and that's cute and everything. But let me just tell you. <laughs> How, how this inevitably works is, uh, you know, inf- inf- the problem is infatuation isn't really about what you can give to someone else, it's what you think they can do for you, how they make you feel or or how you believe they can improve your life if you get connected and if you get if you get committed and, and, and what it is that that person does for you. It's, all, it's really all about you because you don't know the person yet well enough to actually know if you love them. And then what inevitably happens if your infatuation is successful and turns into a a longer term more durable relationship after a while you get to know that person, you realize they can't do any of that stuff for you. And they're a big disappointment, and they don't always make you feel the way you were hoping that they would make you feel. And that's when you got to decide well, do I actually or do, do I actually love this person? And then love becomes something much much different than that. Uh, so so love is not infatuation because as soon as you as soon as you actually get to know someone, you realize their limitations and their needs as well, and that they're probably expecting things from you that you can't deliver either. So the other thing is, I think we got to understand is, as it's defined in the Bible, love is not a reward. Most oftentimes we fall in love with someone and we're rewarding them for what they have to offer. You're rewarding them for being rich, for being charming, for being beautiful, for being for being kind or, or whatever it is this person brings to the table that this virtue or this strength that, that you really love about them. And so knowing that, I think what all of us, what we tend to do is spend a lot of time and put a lot of energy into making ourselves loving, to making ourselves charming, to making ourselves attractive, making ourselves beautiful, making ourselves someone who other people might reward with love. And the problem with that is if you're successful at that, you trap someone, you catch someone that way, you're always kind of wondering. You're wondering this. Well, what if I'm no longer rich? Will they still love me? What if I'm no longer beautiful? Will they still love me? And, and, you know, that's not a love you can be secure in because you realize that that can quickly fade away. So, so love is, is not, love as the Bible defines it, the love that your heart wants is not a reward for your beauty or your charm or anything like that. It's something else. And the third thing I want to say is what love is not, it's not about staying committed to and entangled in a relationship just for the sake of getting our own needs met. I think sometimes we There's this thing, you know, there's not a good definition of it, but you might call it dysfunctional or codependent love or toxic love, where you shower someone with gifts and affection, where you protect people from the consequences of uh, their own actions, where you clean up all of their messes after them and prop them up for, for the sake of... Protecting a relationship that you think that you can't live without and and you know This is a lot of people who are very religious and and are very well-intended I've noticed get uh, Get really entangled in this kind of uh, codependent love because it it looks it's a counterfeit, but it looks a lot like the real thing because you just say, well, I've got to keep forgiving this person, I've got to be patient with this person, I've got to be long suffering, I've got to trust this person. When really, at a certain point, you're just allowing a person to continue to make messes and continue to continue in a self-destructive uh, a self-destructive pattern, and uh, and you feel obligated in the midst of that to uh, try to control the person, try to manipulate the person and keep them from, from, from uh, bearing the consequences of the choices that they're making. I, you know, I mean, the classic illustration that I'm sure some of you are familiar with is if you're in a an intimate or close relationship with someone who's got some kind of an addiction, a drug addiction, an alcohol addiction, some kind of a, a process addiction, and rather than forcing them to bear the consequences of that uh, of that process or of that bad habit or hang up whatever it might be you keep protecting them from those consequences which just enables them to spiral further downward in that in that addiction whatever it is and but the problem with this is it's not really love because because it's more about about you using someone as a means to an end than being willing, than, than, than doing what's best for that person. Bible makes it clear. Jesus says in Revelation, he says, those whom I love, I'm willing to rebuke and discipline. Sometimes love has to be tough. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is say no. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is say, this has got to stop now or it's over. In uh, the book of Proverbs, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but an enemy multiplies kisses. True love has the person's ultimate well-being in mind, even and is even willing to sacrifice the temporal relationship for the purpose of helping that person pursue their well-being. So, so that's what it's not. What is it? The essence of love, the Bible makes clear, the model of Jesus makes clear, the essence of love is self-sacrifice. This is how we know what love is, Jesus says. Christ laid down his life for us. It's a commitment to the well-being of someone else, regardless of the cost, regardless of the consequences. To be willing to sacrifice your own comfort and well-being for someone else's good. And uh, you know the ultimate example, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the cross is at the center of the Christian faith, because the cross is our picture of what love looks like. It's a picture of self-sacrifice. But the thing that makes the cross such a picture of love is because, in Jesus' case, his sacrifice on the cross, his suffering on the cross was absolutely necessary. Because what the cross tells you and me is there was no sacrifice I could have offered that would have satisfied the justice of God. There was no achievement I could have done that would have redeemed the brokenness of my life. And so, ultimately, I'm dependent on what Jesus did for me. Ultimately, I'm dependent on what Jesus gave to me. And you know, to give you an example, if, to imagine you wanted to uh, you wanted to communicate your love to the object of your affections and you, you saw a building on fire and and you you saw saw the, the, the uh you saw this building on fire and said, you know what, I'm gonna show you how much I love you and and before before they could stop you you just run into the building and self immoliate Just just to do it. They'd be like, well, I knew that guy was crazy, but I didn't know how much, right? (laughs) But if you come across, you, you come home, and your home is on fire, and you realize the one that you love is in there, and everyone's telling you, you can't go in there, it's too late, and you go in anyways, and risk your own life, or maybe lose your own life, but are able to save the one who's the object of your affection, everyone will know, well, he or she really loved them because she gave their life for him. See, it's, it's not just the act, but it's the purpose behind the act, the reason that the act was a necessity that makes it an it a expression of love. And so Jesus isn't just some model of a sacrificial life, but his, his sacrifice on the cross was actually effectually redemptive for us. And so that's what defines love. The cross defines love for everybody who believes it, for everyone who accepts it. And and the cross shows us what, what we're called to. But now, if we allow the cross to redefine love for us, the second thing I want you to see that it does is the cross redefines us. He says, Christ laid down his life for us. The cross is, on the one hand, it's the greatest insult that could ever be made against humanity. A great, great insult because the cross says, you know, you can't redeem yourself. You need a redeemer. There's no sacrifice you can bring. You know, all the pagan religions in the olden days, they would bring bulls and goats and other things and sacrifice them at the altar and say, okay, now now my deity and I are, are good. But... The message of the cross is there's no sacrifice you can bring. There's no service you can offer. You need the sacrifice and you need the service of one who's out of this world, one who's flawless, one who is the very Son of God. And that's the insult of the cross. The cross tells you and me that we're so broken and flawed and guilty that we actually have nothing to offer God. Cross says, one one of my friends put it this way In response to my sin, the cross has criticized me more intensely and pervasively and truly than anyone else ever could. This knowledge permits us to say to any and all criticism, you know what? That's not the half of it. Christ on the cross has said more about my sin and my failings and my rebellion and my foolishness than any person can possibly say to me. You understand the criticism of the cross? It means that all the criticisms that your mother gives you, and that your kids give you, and that your friends give you, and that your boss gives you, as cutting and as difficult as they might be to take, they're nothing compared to what the gospel says about you, about how flawed you are, about how broken you are. But at the same time, That the cross, this is the paradox of the cross, at the same time it tells us we're more broken, flawed, and guilty than we were ever willing to admit. The cross tells us that we're more loved than we ever dare dream. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? See, the love that you actually want and the love that you actually need is not a reward for your good deeds or a payment for your sacrifices or compensation for your service. The love that you actually need is just a gift that's given to you simply because you will accept you. That, what the Bible tells us is that God loves us just because He loves us. But from before the beginning of the time, God loved us and planned to send His Son to redeem us. God demonstrates his love for us. Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the cross means that on the one hand, you're broken and flawed, but on the other hand, you're worth dying for. God gave his son for you. And you can find your security, you can find your hope in him and in him alone. Even when the insults of this world, even when the rejection of this world, even when the disappointments of life and the frustrations with, with uh, your career seem insurmountable, we look again to the cross because that's where we see the reality of God's love for us. And we see a blessing that trumps the curse. We see a gift that transcends all of our losses. The gift that is the blessing of of knowing that we're God's beloved, knowing that we are God's chosen, knowing that we are God's children. As we discussed last week, how great is the love that the Father in heaven has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. So, So that's how, see, love is redefined as self-sacrifice according to the bible always read it. that that's what true love is and then on the other hand that redefines us as those who are the recipients of this amazing love and now final thing i want you to see here is what difference does that make how do you know that you actually get this how do you know that you actually believe this which is the point of the book of first john which is what he's driving at and he says it's pretty simple Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If you have material possessions and see a brother and sister in need but don't have pity on them, how can the love of God be in you? He says, if you've actually received this generosity, if you've actually received this grace, then you have got to become a generous person. You've got to become a gracious person. If this is real to you and you've been forgiven this way, you've got to be a forgiving person. And this is the heart change that real gospel experience results in. It's interesting, you know, the, the translators struggle with this. And I struggled with choosing a translation to use this for, uh, for this week. You know, in, in this version it says, if you see your brother and, and sister in need and have no pity on them, how can the love of Christ be in you? And, and other versions it says, have no compassion on them. Or it, it says if your heart is not moved toward them. But, but actually the, the, the original Greek language, it, it, it says if you see someone in need and your, and your, your guts don't tremble, it, it, that, that's, that's what it says. If you don't start shaking inside when you see the needs or the suffering and the hurting of others, then you don't yet understand how much God loved you. And it's the same, you know, this is John, John the Apostle. He also wrote John chapter 11. And you remember, maybe some of you remember, in John chapter 11, there's that, that interesting scene where Jesus shows up at Lazarus' tomb. You remember that t- scene, some of you? John chapter 11. It's, it's interesting because he shows up and he sees his friends are just, just devastated because their brother has died an untimely death. And, you know, it has that verse, Jesus wept. And then it says that Jesus went to went to the tomb, and he just stood there in front of the tomb where his friend Lazarus had been buried. And it says, the translations usually say he was trembling inside. And, and the, the idea is that, his, or the, the literal translation, it, it's, you know, it's a figure of speech, obviously, but is that his, his, his guts were just trembling. He was, he was shaken to the core. And it's that same kind of turn of phrase that's used here, when it talks about seeing other people in need, that your heart goes out to them, that it actually makes you feel troubled to see someone else in trouble because you become a compassionate person. And what John is saying is, this is the simple result of receiving God's compassion in your life. This is the simple result of actually believing that your redemption was secured by the sacrifice of Christ. This is what the cross means to Christians. It's not just some article of faith that we adopt and say, okay, yeah, I, I, know, I know that story about Jesus on the cross and he died for me and, and whatever. I'm just going to go on with my life. But he says that that changes you so deeply that you can't walk by someone who's hurting without hurting too. You can't walk by someone who's suffering without suffering too. You can't walk by someone who's in need or hear about someone who's in need and not say, what can I do to help these people in need? That is the result, John is saying here, that is the result of a real experience of the generosity of Christ and the grace of Christ and the mercy of Christ in your life. That's what, when we talk about a changed heart, that's what it looks like, if you're wondering. He's saying, if you don't get this, you don't yet understand how gracious God has been to you. You're not yet believing that Jesus has really given his life for you. And so when we receive this gift of this changed heart, you know, we're no longer proud because everything we've received is a gift, right? And so. We can, we can relate to those who are in a state of humiliation. We're no longer scared because we're secure in our identity as children of God. And so we can be irresponsibly generous with all he has given us. You know, so this is an invitation to radical generosity, to sacrificial living. And, and I think the model here, or the, the standard here, is that you've got to be generous with your time, generous with your money, generous with what God's given you in a way that actually messes up your perfect little middle-class life that you're striving for. You know, because you can't bear someone else's burdens without burdening yourself. You can't help someone else clean up their mess without messing up your life. You can't help someone who's in poverty without at some level impoverishing yourself to an extent. Love is costly. The essence of love is self-sacrifice. And I believe that in our in our lives and especially if you're if you're seeking to live the Christian life, if you're seeking to to believe in Christ, I believe that one of the times in your life when your Christian faith will be the most real to you and the, Christian, and the work of Christ will be the most vivid to you is when you're choosing voluntarily to make a sacrifice for someone who's in need. When you're choosing voluntarily to really mess up your day or mess up your week or mess up your month or mess up your next year because there's someone in your orbit who needs your help and you're, you've decided you're going to help them. Just because, they need, just because they need it. And because what, what he's saying here is that's the essence of, of the Christian life. That's the essence of a life that's received God's generosity. That's the essence of a life that's received God's grace. And when we do find our, our lives getting messed up because we're called to show grace to others, that's just an opportunity for us to remember our Lord Jesus Christ who was the flawless Son of God, and yet He became sin for us. Who was the very King of Heaven, and He became poor for us. Who was the immortal One, and yet He died for us. There's nothing you can do to to reciprocate that towards Him, but you can show it's real to you as you show generosity and grace, and compassion towards others. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the generosity and the grace of Christ toward me, and the offer of his generosity and grace towards everyone here. I pray that you would help us to accept that gift, enable us to be a people who are changed by that gift, and make us a church that's generous, that doesn't avoid those who are hurting around us, but is actually seeks out opportunities to exercise mercy and grace and generosity towards those in need. Make that real to us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.